0: And welcome to another episode of another film podcast. My name is Colin.
1: My name is Tierney.
2: And my name is Matt. <laughs> oh, hello. Oh, hello, Matt. <laughs> or should we say, hello? Oh. Ooh, I can see your we're getting hello. Right into hello. It.
0: <laughs> I can see your how. Oh, hello.
2: Hello. (laughs) That song's actually about Hale 9000, but the nine and two zeros are taken out.
3: Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And it's just Hale dash (laughs) Yeah.
0: Who knew that Beyonce was such a Kubrick stan?
1: She
2: loves sci
0: fi as well.
2: We invited her on this episode and she said, Who is this?
0: (laughs) (laughs) But hey, we got a response from Beyonce. So, you know, I think.
1: That'll hone. It was a a cease and
0: desist, but
1: you know. Take what you can get, you know?
0: Honestly, yeah. (laughs) Um, So, as we teased recently, we're jumping in. Such teases. Such teases. We're jumping in and we're going to talk about some Kubrick. Uh, So, today's episode, we're going to talk about 2001 A Space Odyssey, classic of the sci fi genre. But before we do that, since this is our first Kubrick one, I thought it would be kind of fun if we just talked about our our Kubrick feelings or ex- exposure up to this point. So, Love it. Uh I can go first. Um I don't have a ton of experience with Stanley Kubrick. Okay. This was the second Stanley Kubrick film I ever saw, first one was uh, Dr. Strangelove, which I saw when I was in mm. high school, and I was like, this is great. And then I didn't watch another one of his movies until, mm. uh, <laughs> until several years later. But, um, but yeah, I, I am wow. very excited that we're doing this little Stanley Kubrick thing. Um, I feel like it's... Uh, it's like a movie-watching blind spot of mine because there's so many of his movies that are so highly regarded, and I have seen so few of them. Um, but I'm really excited that we're starting with this one because as much as I love Dr. Strangelove, I think, uh, so far, with very small sample size, I think 2001 is my favorite, so...
2: <laughs> sure. I, think, I mean, I think it's like, of his movies, probably... Mm. The safest (laughs) favorite, sure. Yeah, the least amount of people are (laughs) whoa, right?
1: Yeah, like someone saying Full Metal Jacket (laughs) is like a little bit. Somebody drops that. It's probably more of a whoa than Lolita, to be honest.
2: You'd be like. Yeah, that's and that's where I'm kind of like 2001 is not a red flag. Or right.
1: Clockwork Orange. Well, most be other the most being a
2: favorite Kubrick is probably a red, fra- red sure. flag. Sure.
0: And but again, I've only seen three of his movies, so we'll we'll check in again later uh, later down the the line with this run, and we'll see if it still yeah. holds up as my number one. But I have not, I mean, to spoil a little bit of our conversation, I have now seen this movie four times, and I like it every. I like it wow. even more every single time. So. But yeah, that's that's my relationship to Kubrick. What about you guys?
2: T-Girl? I feel like you have a longer relationship with Kubrick than I do.
1: Yeah. um, A good number of his movies I saw when I was younger um, through siblings or my parents watching them. Um, I don't even remember the first time I watched 2001. Maybe i don't know i've definitely seen it uh so many times <laughs> um and we'll get into it later but uh i also tend to fall asleep <laughs> uh during the like psychedelic sequence i just am like oh after like the first few minutes i just start nodding <laughs> off um but yeah so i don't know I Maybe I saw this one in, like, 2012. I feel like Jim might have recommended that I watch this, and it had been on my list for a while. Um, And then, yeah, I've seen, I think I've seen, like, over half of his movies. I haven't counted them all, um, but I've seen uh, a good chunk of them. I personally really like him. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think he, like, we'll get into it, but, like, his movies are incredibly well made, and every shot is, like, it's, everyone says it about every movie, but every shot is literally perfect, um, and he tends to get really good performances uh, out of people, sometimes at a yeah. traumatic expense, in the case of uh, uh-huh. Shelley Duvall, um, but I don't know, I, I like him. I think he also, I don't know much about him as a person, but what I do know... He seemed, like, kind of legit, other than, you know, like, psychologically torturing some of his actors. (laughs) Um, He liked chess, and I am a big chess fan. Terrible at it, but... um, So, I don't remember when I first saw this, but I know that I've seen it at least twice at the music box at about 10.30 at night, which is the worst time for this movie to be shown and for me to go to it. I was going to say,
0: counterpoint, it's the best time for that movie to be shown. It's the worst time for you to go see that movie.
1: Yeah. So I started this movie at seven (laughs) and started dozing off at nine and was like, what's wrong with me? Um, But yeah. uh, Am I missing anything else? I don't know. No, like I said, I, I don't have a
0: strong relationship to him. So like, I I can say that I like his movies, but I've seen three of his movies. So it's, like, it's... I was curious if you guys had more thoughts on Kubrick outside of the, the specific... Because, like, over the course of this run, we'll talk about the specific films themselves. But I was curious yeah. if you guys had, like, Kubrick thoughts, kind of, like, big picture.
1: Uh, I think he's, like, better than most living directors.
3: Hmm.
1: Personally. Like, and some of the big... Names. I, this is like a hot take. I'm coming up with a hot take. But like, I'd put him better uh, than like. I'd probably put him above Wes Anderson. I'd put him above Steven Spielberg. I'd put him above like. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola. Like, is this a hot take? I don't <laughs> like, I think it like, is. I'm saying, I feel, I feel like, like the letter, letterbox pros are going to be like right silence. up your alley here. No, no, I,
0: I like I said, I no. don't have. i don't personally have enough context with his movies to make a claim like that but i don't think that that like by existing in the world of like film twitter and letterboxd and like just vaguely following movies uh i don't think that that's necessarily a hot take (laughs) it's not one that i can personally endorse at the moment but i i don't think you're alone in thinking that kubrick is literally an all-time great like you know
1: I will also say that I find, uh, and we'll get into this for sure in more details, especially as we go into like specific movies of his, wherein, uh, he he has a very dark sense of humor. Yes. And, uh, some of it, of the ones that I've seen, I find very funny. Like Dr. Strangelove is my favorite, which is like a straight up comedy, um, but, like, there are parts of other movies that it's, like, this maybe isn't funny for everybody. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking about the time with you and I saw The Killing of a Sacred Deer. <laughs> and, like, he's just spinning in, spoilers for a five-ish year old movie, but uh, Colin Farrell is just spinning in a circle with a gun and, like, randomly pulling the trigger to see which one of his family members he's he's gonna kill and tyranny and i were just dying laughing in the theater and nobody else in the theater thought it was funny at all so yeah uh, (laughs) we're we're uh, we're fairly accustomed to dark dark humor
1: (laughs) yeah uh but dr strangelove is my favorite for sure um because peter sellers is one of the best comedians to ever grace the earth with his presence. Um,
0: What? Oh, I was just going to say, I think this will be interesting if we all say like what our favorite is up front. And then after we watch, I I don't think we're going to watch all of them, but after we watch like most of them, we could, we could check back in and see if they're still our favorites.
1: Mine probably won't change, because I've seen right, most of them. Fine. So I, I pulled it up to count, and so I've seen... I think I saw The Killing, perhaps, as a child. That might not be a good thing. Uh, <laughs> or it, maybe it was... It was either that or Paths of Glory I've seen as a kid. And then I saw Spartacus. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I've seen eight of his oh, movies. Eight of,
0: eight of 13.
1: Yeah. But, like, okay. I mean... <laughs> killer's kiss and fear and desire i mean (laughs) does that even count seen
0: those (laughs) (laughs) i mean maybe us at some point later this year
2: tbd
1: (laughs) anyway that was quite a ramble matt um
2: i have some relationship with kubrick but also not an extensive i think tyranny has much more of one than i do uh but i would say i think the first kubrick adjacent movie that i watched was My Bay AI Artificial Your Intelligence, Your Beloved, which is famously not directed by Stanley Kubrick, but he is credited with, I think, a story by credit. Um, <clears throat> but he was involved in that, and I remember being like, Who's this guy? and like knowing of uh his other movies. The first movie that I watched part of was A Clockwork Orange in eighth grade because my brother was told by a teacher that it was like a an impressive movie and so my brother rented it and we started it together and got about to where you'd think and yep. both of us went <laughs> we can't do this we can't watch this so we turned it off and I didn't finish that movie until I was in college and it was uh, part of my like uh film philosophy class and I was like all right I really didn't like it when I was in eighth grade let's see what the rest of this movie has to offer uh and then I was like Okay, yeah, it's a it's a pretty well constructed movie. So we'll wait for a full conversation on the clock record until we get there. Uh but I think that was like prop, I guess even though I didn't finish it like the first real Kubrick movie that I watched until like early college, uh when I did watch two thousand one, I got it from like the college library. And boy did I not get it when I first watched it. Uh, I have
1: Dude, I didn't get this movie the first
0: like four times I yeah. watched. It. I mean, let's be honest. I still don't get this
2: movie. Right. <laughs> like, I think we'll we'll get there right. later on in this conversation. But like... but like this was like, I mean, I was pretty like, what like, I fast forwarded through the colorscape sequences, fast-forwarded <clears throat> through some of the primordial uh, Pre man stuff because I was just like, oh, I can't. This is so boring.
1: The first time you saw it, you did I sure that? Did.
2: Uh, but. So disrespectful. I, know. <laughs> I like, I very specifically remember. Being... I was at
1: least awake the first couple times I saw it. It was only once I started watching it at the music box that I started falling asleep. I,
2: I think I also fast forwarded through the docking sequence. Anything that was like really slow, which this movie is so slow i fast forwarded but i think we'll talk about those aspects of the movie in our conversation but uh, at the time i was like come on let's move it kubrick uh and since then i think i've only really seen and i have a three pack of like the kubrick triple feature on blu-ray that's 2001 clockwork orange and the shining that's the same one yeah. i have and i think <laughs> i think those are the... Oh, and I've seen Dr. Strangelove. And I think besides those, I haven't seen any other Kubrick. I know parts from uh, Full Metal Jacket. I know... I've seen scenes from uh, Eyes Wide Shut and scenes from... Mm, uh, I don't know if I have seen scenes from... The, like, uh, Barry Lyndon I've been aware of but haven't really seen any of. And... The killing I haven't seen. You have seen. to
1: take a vacation day to watch that yeah, one. Yeah, I was gonna
2: say we're all gonna have to. <laughs> that's gonna be a that's gonna be a, a long one. But uh yeah, I my relationship with Kubrick is that I'm always impressed by the uh skill and the craft of the filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Uh and I think sometimes I'm taken by the performances, but overall I think I'm mostly impressed by like the visuals and the like uh, point of view that is like the themes are very clear. I feel like with his movies uh, and very sharp. And I don't. I think that sometimes that's not enough for me to like fully get on board. I think particularly with The Shining, I have a lot of problems with just like the movie of The Shining. But I still think like the craft that goes into it is like un unarguable inarguably impressive so Mm -hmm. i have like a i like i will say from what i've seen of hitchcock who i also haven't seen a lot of i prefer kubrick to hitchcock in terms of like what the film does Mm -hmm. uh like the craft behind it where like hitchcock i think is lauded typically with you know coming up with a lot of techniques and a lot of like things that kind of were, were bold at the time uh and torturing his performers uh and i think kubrick the quality of what uh we see i at least have uh gravitated more towards so i am like colin i'm very interested to like dive into the full filmography because i that's kind of a uh gap in my big director catalog. Uh, mm-hmm. But I'm, I mean, I'm happy we're starting with 2001 because it's the one that I have definitely seen at least four times now and have the most thoughts on that uh, like align with a lot of other things that I like. So I am excited to talk about this specific movie and then you know to continue our conversation, jumping around Kubrick, which I think is something else that we should establish. We're not going in any sort of order of release or awards or anything else. We're just going to hop around Kubrick, pick in what we want when we want to watch it. Barry Lyndon will be saved for Christmas break. Just kidding.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that actually would be a good Christmas break movie, I feel like. Um, do we want to dive in? Because I have uh, a yeah. segue.
3: Yeah. Oh,
1: wait, I was going to say something, but now I forgot.
0: Well, I was going to say, do we, I
1: mean, we typically,
0: I can... I can go for a little bit and see if it jogs your memory or if you think of it. But No, it was something talk... Matt
1: was saying that I was like, oh. Oh, I'm gonna add on to that and then I just forgot. Okay.
0: Well, we typically talk about like our relationship to the movie specifically. So I we I mean we kind of all touched on it a little bit earlier, so I don't know if we need to go too deep into this, but I one thing I will say is I am very glad, kind of to your point, Matt, the first time you watched it. I am so glad that I did not watch this movie until... It was probably like 2014, 2015, I think. Um, And it was at... The first time I ever saw this movie was at the music box in 70mm. And so I could just like... I was forced to sit there and let the movie wash over me. Um, Because I feel like if I would have watched it earlier in my life and or at home for the first time, I definitely think I would have been kind of where Matt was, where I was just like, okay, I fucking get it. Let's, you know, like, let's move on. Um, But being in that particular environment and being forced to like, okay, no, like the director has decided that this is what he's going to do. And I'm like going to go on this ride with him really made me appreciate it from jump in a way that I don't know if I necessarily would have appreciated it otherwise. Um, And I have since seen this movie, this is not, when I watched it for this uh, this episode that we're recording, This that was my fourth time. This was the first time I've ever watched it at home. <laughs> I've wow. always seen it in a theater until last night. Uh, and it still holds up at, at home, which I was a little worried about. Uh, and thank God <laughs> it, I was still just as blown away last night as I was every other time I've seen it. So. Uh, yeah, bless this movie. I love it so much. <laughs> yeah. I guess.
1: I watched it at home for the first time, but I, the like, evolution of man didn't bother me. But this is also someone who would watch nature right. documentaries as a kid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so I you just thought a, it
0: was a nature documentary at first?
1: <laughs> no, I, I knew it wasn't. <laughs> uh, but I did have a note that it was the best humans as apes costumes. It's pretty good. That I've seen. With a couple real apes yeah.
2: mixed in crawling around not not like full-grown ones but those babies the babies (laughs) and when i was watching it last night i was like those have
0: to be real apes there's no fucking way they put like a toddler (laughs) (laughs) um
2: Um. i i you know watched it in college i'm also realizing now i think i like forced myself to like it more than i initially did because of what mm. an influence it had on so many things that I did like. Which is to mm-hmm. say, uh, as many times as I can reference Metal Gear Solid in uh, our podcast, <laughs> I will. And in Metal Gear Solid, the like PlayStation 1 that kind of made me fall in love with that game series. Hal is the name of Otacon, who I have made my email address in so many things uh and david is revealed to be the real name of snake and so at the end it's a david and hal friendship and there's like tons of references to 2001 beyond that in the in the game and so like i included in the like two scripts that i wrote in college i included some line of open something and then the response Mm -hmm. being i'm afraid i can't do that because i was like oh that's so cool so, like, I think over time, I, like, really made myself appreciate the movie. I think in the same way that The Shining I did, too, of, like, the first time I watched The Shining, I was like, nah, And then each subsequent time when I, like, grew to respect the craft of it more, I was like, oh, I love that carpet pattern. Oh, I love this reference. I love this, like, room number. And so, like, I think Kubrick also has that kind of effect of, like, creating such a uh, an interesting and, like, it feels like you're... Like you're coming in on a secret. Like there's all these like little things that you're like, oh, I noticed this particular thing, and then kind of gravitating towards that. And so like, I think that's kind of what's lasted with me over the years, at least with two thousand one, but I think a lot of other Kubrick stuff as well.
1: I'm looking forward to doing the Shining episode, and when we talk about our first experiences with that movie, I think it's going to be pretty. Funny Ooh, teaser <laughs> for me. Um, all right, shall we? Let's do it.
0: I'm yeah, I'm ready. Yeah.
1: So, one thing that I wanted to... There are two main things that I want to make sure that we talk about. Number one... Uh, what did it say? Oh, so I believe it's Ricard Strauss does Zarathustra, but so that soundtrack does a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But seeing as it was made in 1968, so close to being nice... Is, so this movie was made in 1968, and if you think about, this is the first time audiences have seen anything like this. That, like... Yeah. Oh, Matt, Matt's just disappeared. That, like, the that's where, like, I'm like, how did you fast-forward through the docking sequences? Because you have that gorgeous soundtrack, and then you have, like... I mean, it is, like... It was the first time it was, like, ever, ever seen. Like, it's in, it's incredible. I still think, even though it's, like, old, it looks so good. I, that's, I think that was my biggest
0: takeaway when I saw this the first time. Um, oh, yeah. Like, you can tell that this movie was made in the 60s. Like, it's not, like... Like, you can tell that it's an old movie. But with that caveat in mind, it still looks amazing. Like all of this like everything still looks just truly incredible and like some movies that are made now or at least more recently than that like than you know 1968 like get dated so quickly for any number of reasons but this movie almost feels timeless like in like in how good everything looks and how good like it just it's it's so impressive it could That's easily something...
1: be a period piece
0: yeah Like, it's just, I'm just, every time I watch this, I'm just, like, completely blown away by all of it.
2: Yeah, and I think it's given, it's been given more care to preserve and enhance over the years. That's not to take away from how amazing it looks, but because that care has gone into making it look that good, it does feel brand new. Like, the effects do Mm -hmm. not seem outdated. The themes don't seem outdated. And even the costuming is, like, it's slightly modern versions of real like clothing that we have now or in the 60s
1: oh yeah those spacesuits are just patagonia yeah, coats. exactly
2: yeah but, and they're like they're different enough <laughs> that it's like oh these are not 60s spacesuits and they're also not like the craziest version of the future that we could ever have this is a pretty realistic take on what the future could look like down to like I mean, I feel like we'll we'll dig into a lot of like the middle portion stuff uh, after we go from front to back. But like the video phones and the lounge areas and the suit, the cuts of the suits are all just like slightly modern, but mostly just kind of practical. They're just like this is basically the same, but a little nicer, a little cleaner. And, like the,
0: air, like, the ship that he's riding to the station is Pan Am. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, that's just such a perfect touch that you're just... Like, to exactly to your point. Like, I feel like so many sci-fi movies are just like, let's go fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. Which is fun and good. And I think a lot of sci-fi movies should do things like that. But I think one of the things that I appreciate so much about this is that it's not like, let's go fucking crazy. It's like, let's think about, you know... It's 1960. Let's think about what the world would look like if we keep on this general trajectory that we're on. So, like, this movie came out before we had landed on the moon, but we were, like, very much in the space race, right? So, like, let's keep, like, what does 30 years from now look like if we just go at this trajectory and not necessarily, like, an exponential curve? Um, So I think a lot of those little touches like that just make, like I said, just make this movie feel almost timeless. And there's, like... A Howard Johnson, yeah, the star like, hangout area. What is it? Like the Starlight <laughs> yeah, Cafe just, or Starlight Lounge? Yeah, it's like all that little Earthly. stuff where you're just like, oh yeah, of course. Like, we're like, it's just, it feels like so much thought was put into making this world, you know, because in it really there was. Well, which I mean, it certainly yeah. was, yeah, but like you can, it's always nice when you, as somebody watching the movie, when you can feel that you know whoever was like put that movie together had the time and energy and care to put that thought forth. Whereas like a lot of stuff you see now, you're just like, yeah, somebody was just like, whatever, let's make this fucking movie. Who cares? Um, Which makes the
1: watching something like this that much more impressive. Yeah. And uh, so I know there has been work to preserve like the film and everything. And this is just a stance that I have, but I think that old film track, old film tricks will always look better than CGI Mm -hmm. and that's like Lord of the Rings the the reason the like original three not the Hobbit have held up is because they're all old film tricks Mm -hmm. and like yeah they can be kind of hokey if they're not done well but if they're done well they will always look better than CGI yeah in in four years let alone 40 and it took
2: me until this watch to even like fully acknowledge that when I think it's when they're on their way to the, mon- uh, the monolith on the moon when they're like in mm. that little shuttle and you see like that over yeah. overhead view of like the two small windows of the cockpit and then just like the actual shuttle. It took me until this to actually like think through like oh that was a model and then they green screen yep. basically and inserted the image of them in the cockpit into the gaps in the model but when you're looking at it you can't tell at all it just looks like they're inside this little shuttle and it like all of the you know stop mo or like i don't even know if they're stop motion necessarily but all like the practical effects like star wars had like all these other kind Mm -hmm. of sci-fi movies that we're used to used look incredible here and like really look pristine and like you really can't tell the difference in what is you know uh a screen image and what is a model and what is a physical set it all kind of looks as good as it needs to for the purpose
1: and like if this movie were made now anytime the monolith mm-hmm. is shown with space in the background it all would have been made up and it just looks so much better not yeah. made up
0: i was actually i was thinking uh during the dawn of man sequence, I was actually thinking about that partially because,
1: uh, that one's a bit more obvious but the... it's a set
0: <laughs> for sure, which is fine. But I was just thinking about like, first of all, I giggled to myself at the thought of somebody trying to make like remake 2001 today. I was just like, what a fool's errand that would be. Um, but then I, like, as I was watching it, the, because of, uh, framed recently, uh, the dawn of the planet of the apes was the, the framed a couple days ago. And so I was like, oh, yeah, if somebody were to try and remake 2001 today, they just would have done the recent Planet of the Apes trilogy technology. And I think that those movies are really good. And I think that the CGI, like, I think Caesar looks incredible. And the motion capture work that Andy Serkis et al. did on that movie is fantastic. But I still think that it would have looked a little weird. Whereas, like, these people in ape costumes are still just totally mesmerizing. And like, you can tell that it's a person in an ape costume, but I like, am just so sunk into what is happening on the screen
2: that I don't even care. Um, and the landscape of primordial earth is also like something to appreciate this in this too, of like, it's so barren and vast and, and chaotic. Yeah. Cause it's just pure, uncultured nature just like whatever it was whatever piles of rocks were there whatever erosion happened like this is so early that it's just like raw earth and it is so bright and well lit like you're just in such a bright barren landscape so that when it cuts to space which like will i think talk about those differences Mm. and that comparison more but like the vast difference in where we were and where we are is like, that. Pr- the practicality and the color and all of that goes into kind of making that land as well as it does. And like the mountains and just like rocks do kind of make you think like, wow, this is crazy that, yeah, for, for a very long time, there was just nothing besides nature. There was just whatever cave you could hide under for warmth uh or for like protection and that was about it you were just like surrounded by bones of stuff you ate and you lived where you hunted and that was it like that's just what it was until tools so like that yeah anyway that's a long even after
1: tools even
2: after tools yeah for a long time it's really just
1: like the last thousand two thousand years
2: three thousand years Man, we really. Well, I mean, longer than 2000 because that's 2000 Common Era. But, like, before yeah,
1: that. No, it, yeah, no, it's like to maybe.
2: F- 5000, I think.
1: 4000 BC is the first civilization. Yeah, Mesopotamia. I don't know.
2: The hydraulic cultures. But, yeah, even before that, before, like, you know, quote unquote civilization you know, where did, where were we before that? How many millions of years or thousands of years before we even got to that?
1: Oh, we are a blip We're on this earth. Yeah. Yeah. Which
2: this movie does a great job of really making you remember. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I mean, right from go, the first the first thing I'll say too about the opening of this movie is that MGM logo is dope. Just like the flat color. I was like, oh yeah. Don't make it the lion. Like, don't make it, like, the actual MGM logo. Just make it this, like, blue color plate with this, like, stamp of MGM. And then that opening music and, like, the slow tilt up to see the aligned, like, earth, moon, and sun with that title card is just, like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Like, this is a masterful work. This is incredible. Let's... Let's take one step back though, which is one of the things I
0: wanted to I wanted yeah. to discuss. Uh so I rewatched uh 10 Commandments um over Easter mm-hmm. weekend and uh you know, there's there's an overture at the beginning, there's an intermission. I was like, "Man, this is fucking dope. I wish more movies did this." And then I fired up 2001 totally forgetting that it starts for like a solid two to three minutes where it's just a black screen and there's just music happening. And it's this like really weird, like eerie music uh, before you see anything at all. And then it cuts to the MGM logo that you're talking about, which I totally agree is extremely yeah. dope. And I think they should bring that back. Uh, But I was just like, man, I, f- I fucking love overtures. <laughs> yeah. So like not every single movie needs one, obviously, but I do wish that that was a thing that we still did. Like, it just, makes, it just makes it feel, like, that much more special of an experience yeah. when you're just, like, sitting there and just, like, oh, man, I'm really, like, they're really hyping me up for whatever the fuck <laughs> is about to happen. Um, so I was so fucking jazzed uh, when I remembered that there's an overture and I got to sit through it again. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's a dope opening. And you really don't get any dialogue until... There's, like, 20 minutes in before you hear any, like, human voice. (laughs) It's not concerned with that. Um, Which is, like... To say, I think that's part of what's so impressive about the movie as a whole is, like, what it is interested in showing you or having you hear or having you experience, which when you look at it on the whole you're like man this even a24 wouldn't necessarily green light this movie like this movie is so Mm -hmm. weird and does so many Mm -hmm. things antithetical to what they expect audiences would want to experience that like even the noises that the apes are making in the beginning is so aggravating and so like like loud and aggressive and like just not, it's not pleasant to listen to because that's just like the guttural noises that they're making to like shout at each other. But like the sound mix is probably exactly what it needs to be, but just sounds awful. Like it just is so grating on your ears, which again is followed by total silence in space, which makes it that much better that it is that like violent of guttural noises. Um But like to yeah. start a movie that way is Outrageous to think that audiences weren't going to be put off at fifteen minutes of just ancient Earth apes screaming at each other
1: <laughs> and so, jumping around. So I uh, also I like went through a period where I watched a lot of this is relevant to promise. I watched a lot of Kubrick movies. It's mm-hmm. uh, where I put most of them in. Check them out from the library. But I watched like a lot of behind the scenes stuff. Um, about this, like, how they filmed some shots in this movie as well as The Shining. Uh, and it was either in one of those or read somewhere that the, I don't think this movie was very successful when it first came out. It was once, I believe, stoners figured out if you take acid at a certain point of the movie, it kicks in during the, like multicolored
0: beyond the infinite. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It kicks in during that scene. And that's, I'm pretty sure that's when the movie became popular is because people would go and get high so that it would hit when that scene starts. Could be wrong, but that was, I I don't, (laughs) I think it's kind of like Harold and Maude in the sense that it wasn't that popular when it first came out.
2: Yeah. I mean, which is crazy to think of 2001 being a cult movie, but i do think you're right. i don't think it was super successful. as i don't know if a lot of kubrick movies were but the fact that like oh, that's Hitch- what i was going to say. yeah.
1: way yeah. earlier when you were talking about comparing him to hitchcock, i was going to call him a he's i'm glad yeah, we got back, back a, there eventually. he's he's a sleeper <laughs> cell. you know, you never people never think of him when they think of like good cinematography or whatever. i feel like they you people always call on other people that he's kind of like He's a, he's a sleeper cell. He's just always there.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: I feel like separately, his <laughs> movies have a lot of impact. Like
2: 2001, A Clockwork Orange, The Shining. Like, I feel like they're talked a lot about, like, separate from each other. But yeah, as the filmography of one director or the attention to every shot that is in those movies, I feel like that isn't really discussed in terms of Kubrick. I feel like they're like, a great director, a great director, but like less about like specifically what part of the craft he does so well every time. Um, and yeah, and Which Hitchcock, is all I, of it. All of it. Yeah. And I feel like Hitchcock, they're always like, Oh, look how incredible this shot is. Or like how this editing really communicates this suspense. But I'm like, I feel sometimes I feel just a, as much suspense from a Kubrick as I do with a Hitchcock.
1: So, this is a sort of segue into the other thing that I wanted to talk about, if 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 that's not interrupting. No.
0: I'll go so, for it. Uh, Listener is aware of how we do, <laughs>
1: so. So I think that when it comes to Stanley Kubrick, I think that his best skill is building and lighting a fucking set. Because... Mm-hmm. Especially when you're building in space. Like you can see it a lot in this movie. Like he built a circular set Yeah. for
0: the production design
1: for this movie yeah. is out of control. And it's spun like just so your guy could run on yep. it. And then he had a separate one that wasn't a circle. So like, but then you, so that's just like in general is intense. But then if you mm. look at each, so you have like the, whatever the cafe is that they're all sitting in. It's all the way down in the distance. It's designed like all the I'm really struggling with my words right now, but you have like the seating area, <laughs> but then it goes so far back. And then even the yeah. room that has a hallway is is briefing everyone on is like there's clearly lights behind all of those glass, the like uh, frosted glass but it doesn't look like it. It just looks like a glow coming from the walls. Looks incredible. And it. Yeah. every time I watch yeah. this movie, or really any of his movies, because he is a bit neurotic, uh, yeah. but but every time I'm like, <laughs> this is... He knows how to build a set, and he knows how to light a set. Even down would, to yeah. like the things on the computer screens, or the fact that that yeah. the Russians who were in that waiting area, their briefcases say airplane in Russian on them. Yeah. and Like, the level I, of detail is insane. And, to and that Wes point, Anderson think... can suck it. <laughs> okay.
2: What a turn we've made as a podcast. Whoa. Themed around Royal Tenenbaums in all of our materials and now attacking Wes Anderson. Tierney,
1: you better the other watch thing... your work. And this will be this will be relevant to when we do Doctor Strangelove. But there's Matt. You'll be able to help with this. There's a specific style. That is it neo classic, maybe. But the furniture, in so the architecture of the rooms. So it's like the set design, but it's also the architecture of the set design is really good. But then, uh, like the the interior design, is a specific type of style that I personally love. And when you go, so this will come up in Dr. Strangelove because that's the same design. Um, but when you go to the UN and you can go to the rooms in the tour and each room has that same exact style. And so it feels oh. like you're in Dr. Strangelove.
2: Yeah. I what mean, is I the name of that? The, is it mid-century modern? I'm going to Google it. Let's see. Or I mean, retrofuturism is also kind of like a lot of that 60s, like, Curved edges and like sharp lines. Yeah. There's like a bit of brutalism in the design for the war room in Doctor Strangelove of like very exposed beams and like kind of cold architecture. But yeah, I'm not exactly sure about the table itself. But I think to that point of like the production design, like the attention that Kubrick as a director gives the production design and the cinematography is like evident in so many of his other movies like we're still mentioning now but like the shining what when we talk about the shining specifically what i find so impressive about that is the set that was built for the shining and the way that the physical space was created uh and barry linden which i know our uh our former co-worker jack uh loved barry linden and always would tell us to watch barry linden because it's entirely lit by natural light so candles, sunlight, mm. like actual diegetic light that you can see in the frame. Yeah. And so like even that idea of like the lighting in that is done so well, even when it's not stage lighting. Whereas this one, like you get stage lights, you get lights behind the set and stuff like that. But like, yeah, it's always this attention to the way that the room and the details look and both the production design and the lighting are such key elements to like getting across his vision that he was like obsessive about what they look like and how it was done. Like particularly like, the, like airplane being in Russian on the briefcases um, or even just like the specific, the specificity of Pan Am being the airline and Howard yeah. Johnson's being the brand of this restaurant. It not only communicates to you that like brands are in space, but like recognizable brands that you're familiar with are just part of this future, are just part of the world that you're in now.
1: So I realized I came to me, the actual Russian word for airplane, that I think it's, I think it's...
2: Are we rolling right back into actually having a conversation on this? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I'm trying to find, I'm trying to find what the word they use is, because it's a word that I had to, I had to learn. It might be a brand. I think it's, it's, ah... It's like Pan Am, but for <laughs> Russia,
2: oh, interesting,
0: <laughs> I love that also uh the way for like when you said I think it might be a brand, and we we're talking about like a logo on a suitcase, it just like triggered. The uh, Dumb and Dumber bit where they're like, maybe the name's it's like Slippy Slappy Swenson, Swenson, Swanson. It's like I don't know. Maybe it's on the the luggage. Check the luggage. Oh, Samson. <laughs> it's
1: way off. Yeah, no, it's it's a brand uh, like a Pan Am or United for Russia. But yeah, which
0: yeah. would make sense. Like if if the guy is taking a plane from America to that space station. Like, it would make yeah. sense that it would be, like, an American company, Pan Am, you know, but then, like, if the Russians were taking one, like, it would make sense that they would take their own. Also, oh, God, the, attention the to optimism
1: detail. of the fact that this was filmed in 1968 and, the, like, th- during the height of the Cold War, and they were, like, imagining a future in which Russians and Americans work together.
2: Well, work together, like, but also see. very much siloed in sort their of. own <laughs> departments and not giving information. To yeah, people. but like. Uh, certainly post Cold War in their interactions, like it chatting.
0: Could at least, like have, like, share space on a space station and just, like, shoot the shit for a little bit. Right. While, yes, one right. is clearly hiding information from the other, they're at least, like, congenial right. and, like, having a drink together. I, <laughs> like, but he's also hiding not necessarily from something from his that own astronauts.
2: Happened.
1: So, like, right. sure, I yeah. watched... I thought it was yeah. kind of optimistic. Get, I don't know.
2: I think it is supposed to be a post-Cold War Earth that, like... Everyone is just kind of like in space now. Uh, that, that I think yeah. you're absolutely right about that. I will say, and I'll probably be sprinkling bits of this movie that I only watched a little bit of throughout the podcast. But I started 2010 after I finished 2001. And yeah. Oh, last and let night. Let me just tell you. Oh. Not a movie. But specifically, <laughs> because like we've talked about here, where everything just seems like slightly modern or like you don't really get a good sense of like what the earth looks like in this particular era of like 99 2001 but in 2010 it's basically just the 80s and the craziest thing like the most like oh the future's crazy huh is that uh hayward haywood uh, halloway yeah yeah, who's payment. played by, yeah, who's played by, uh, what's his name, from Jaws? Uh, the guy, he's from, he's in all that jazz. Anyway, he plays the character that I don't even know the actor who plays him in this plays, but uh, he just has dolphins in his house. That's like, that's part of the future. it? Like, this man has two dolphins that live in a pool and his son feeds the dolphins, which also, he has a son. And in this movie, he has a daughter, and it's like, wow, you guys really—that's Kubrick's daughter, intense, huh? Just didn't even try. Oh, is yeah. it really? Oh, that's a fun I'm full of 'em. I'm full of them. I
0: didn't know that. <laughs> she's so cute. She's so cute and natural. <laughs> and I was gonna say she's so yeah. perfect in this movie too. Like, it's exactly like what a four-year-old on a video call yeah. would do. Like, just like clearly doesn't understand what's happening, but is like doing their best to, to hang. The like, yeah.
1: the like atmosphere of. <laughs> uh so like the atmosphere of future like when they're just looking at basically their iPads eating their dinner in silence i was like man without even knowing about the global pandemic he nailed yeah. what that felt like <laughs> <laughs> yeah and like
2: the uh yeah, just like two tablets next to each other. Yeah. Later on, when like they're both watching the same interview but they're both watching on separate tablets. I was like, man, yeah. Nailed it. This is exactly what the modern day is. Qu- uh, oh yeah. and I yeah, so, so the other point of the eighties and the Russians and Americans, two thousand ten makes a point that the conflict between Russians and Americans is like at an all time high and like the Central American conflict is getting worse than ever and there might not be an earth to come back to in a way that's like, oh, you just don't get, you don't get 2001 at all. Like you made this movie and you didn't watch. The <laughs> they election, hit
1: real you life, but they, they don't get 2001.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think to your point, it's exactly that feeling where you're kind of like, oh, yeah, this is a future past our current conflicts that we have on earth. It's like, yeah, new power, a new political landscape. Uh, where, yeah, they're all very cordial with each other, and, you know, he seems to have a relationship with the one doctor uh, who he, like, greets first. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's a lot there that's, like...
1: That guy had real great vibes.
2: He it. Yeah, big Rafe um, energy.
1: Plot question. So, this time, as we talked about before, uh, I watched this movie. So, I think half the times I've watched this movie, I've been at the Music Box. Uh... Mm-hmm. Good way to do it. I mean, oh, yeah. literally, literally well, saying... Probably, I, think I, I think I might have seen it three or four times. Um, but... Yeah. Uh, what, was, what was I going to say? Um, oh, so this time, it took me a while to realize... I think I... I by while, wow, I, think, I think I mean within the last year, I asked either you guys or Jim and said, but what is the Black Monolith? And whoever it was, just what? Aliens, obviously. <laughs> And I was like, okay, but it's not obvious because I didn't know for sure.
2: I mean, I mean, I think it's pretty it's... obvious in the middle because they say that it was buried <laughs> right. 4,000 years ago. So It was like so, 4 million yeah. years who, ago. Who else could possibly?
1: <laughs> okay, that? so I thought it was just, like, weird, but I was like, nothing's ever... Expl- like, I was also kind of like, is the monolith the alien or is it a device? And so that's where... I. And that's, that's where right. it's, it's still not clear, but this is the time watching it where I actually listened uh, and, and processed sure. when they said... What, what a concept. When they, said, when they said it was deliberately buried and then yeah. took that a step further in my brain instead of being immediately gone uh, and was like, oh, do you think that the reason they buried it was because they gave humans tools. And they were like they can't fucking handle this. We need to get rid of this thing. So they stuffed it in the ground, buried it, and then they were like because and they were and to be like this should never see the light of day oh. because the thing that sends the beam to Jupiter is when the sun hits it. So if the sun had never hit it, then the beam never would have gone to Jupiter and then Dave never would have gone to Jupiter. <laughs> And Hal never would have gone to Jupiter. Like that whole segment never would have happened. So I was like, "Do you think it's deliberately buried?" So okay. yes,
0: but not for the reason that you're.
2: <laughs> you're which I think is open enough. That it's to be not fair, told to you why.
0: I, I'm not saying that I I think that your interpretation is wrong. I I was just saying that's not how well, I hadn't I've ever until interpreted this time. it. But I do think that your interpretation. <laughs> Right. I think that that's a really fascinating take that I was unaware of because, so my take on what the monolith is has always been fairly, and to be, I mean, I saw, the first time I ever saw this was in a post-Interstellar world and we all know how much I fucking love Interstellar and Interstellar is very, very, very obviously yeah, indebted to this pretty much
3: wouldn't
0: exist. <laughs> exactly yeah um but like my take on the monolith has always been like interstellar-esque which is like some future version of either humanity or some like super civil like future civilization put those monoliths here to get us to uh, like to get us to the next levels of evolution so like they put the monolith by the apes so that the apes would learn how to have tools, which would then progress to a point where we could be on the moon and we could find this thing that was buried, which would then progress to us going to Jupiter, which would then progress to us going to the, like the star child iteration of like, that's like the next evolution of humans is like this all knowing super fetus floating around space. So like, that's always been my interpretation uh, which, again, is not to say that yours is wrong. I just was never aware of it. And I actually do think yours is really fascinating. Um, so whenever I watch I definitely this next, I'm going to be not... thinking about that.
1: I definitely did not think that the ending was a positive ending. I've always felt like it was not a good ending.
2: I think it's supposed hmm. to be beyond what we understand to be positive or negative or good mm-hmm. or bad. In that it's t- like tapping into infinite knowledge and cosmic truths that it's like seeing the face of god in the bible where it like explodes you and i think it like basically i think in this case he like passes through time and that's what like the bedroom at the end of the universe is and then basically chooses to then recycle chooses to return back into infancy with all the knowledge that he experienced in no time infinite time whatever those colorscapes are uh he's like passed through mortality into something else um but is that positive is it negative it's kind of unclear it certainly seems sinister that bedroom kind of seems spooky but i think also like cosmic yeah. knowledge is spooky Um, And the Black Monolith is spooky. I
1: definitely... Black Monolith is, but I definitely didn't... um, I didn't take that as the ending. I took it as a rapid acceleration to death.
2: What? Huh? (laughs)
1: Like... (laughs) like, Because he goes goes from like a 30, 40-year-old and then he becomes like an old... He's basically like tripping balls. And then...
2: Right, but is he transforming or is he experiencing time with no...
1: I structure? took it to mean that like in the same way that a black hole slows down time to be accelerating time to his death. And that's why I've always been like... The, uh, the ending but then is... What do
0: you think... What? What do you think the star child is?
1: Oh, just that he dies because we all die and then eventually there's a baby. <laughs>
2: Eventually there's a baby though. What well is like like, that
1: process? like like we all we're all made of star bits. So it's like okay, he is accelerated to death and then I, I took it to be more symbolic. Maybe that humans are infants Which I think the ending in terms of yeah. the world or, or the universe or whatever. But I definitely didn't take it to be an all knowing being. <laughs> I definitely took it to be rapid deterioration. And I do think at least as far as... <laughs> because it's not enjoyable for him. Like, he's not enjoying himself in that multicolored fun I ride. I disagree Well, I think with that's why well, it's I beyond agree.
2: enjoyment and pain. I think it's probably painful because it's too much knowledge. I think what we're seeing in, like, the light is representational of, like, the universe. Like, the truth of mm. all things You've gotten to the point now where it's not just learning how to use a tool. You are now experiencing the infinity of the cosmos. Everything everywhere uh-huh. all at once. That's what, that's the but it, experience.
1: but <laughs> if you take if you take my interpretation of the monolith to begin with of of them regretting giving us tools, hiding it so that we didn't find it and then because they knew it would kill us.
2: My question would be how do they know it was a bad thing 4 million years when they buried it?
1: Because the first thing he does with the tool is kill another ape. Well, but
2: was that 4 million years ago? Prob, I don't know. Like, I think that's the timeline of like, if they immediate, if, if one smash of a bone was enough for these aliens who purposely put the monolith on earth to it send us to the next stage if that was enough for them to bury it so that we'd never find it then like what why was that and i think like if it was like world war Two, they were like this has gone out of hand or like in the same way that like god in the bible is like oh you guys are too crazy i'm just gonna like start a flood and wipe you all out i think like those things take a little time to like build a reason and i think they would have the 4 million years ago thing seems to suggest that it was just part of a plan, like that they buried it. And I think to Colin's point, at least that it was kind of like, we'll see you when you get here. And then we'll see you when you get to the next spot. Like we're going to plant these basically like breadcrumbs to where you need to go Mm -hmm. when you are ready to get there. And like the only way that we found the one on the moon is because we were smart enough to get to the moon and have the tools to excavate this one object that then pierces with sound and sends a signal to Jupiter, which seems to be like that's what it's triggered to do, that once we touch it, it's like, all right, next step, here you go. Here, go off to the next one.
1: So I understand what you're saying. Uh, however, if we look at the movie Arrival... There's the scene where they talk about how we taught, the US taught the aliens, the word tool, but another country I can't remember who it was taught the word weapon. Mm -hmm. And so depending on how you look at it is going to be like, depending on the language you use is going to depend on how you look at something. But every single technological advancement pictured is both a tool and a weapon. So you have the bone as a tool and a weapon. You have hell as a tool and a weapon. Like there's not, nothing is just positive advancement. It's, and this is, and this is just also how I feel about technological progress in general. (laughs) <laughs> and so this is like definitely me bringing right. my own attitude to that's it. But I, like... I just like
0: Tierney, I think you need, like, we are
1: not attacking you. Also, or disagreeing. video no, like, phone is not just, a weapon.
0: <laughs> like, I feel like you're, you're getting extremely defensive. And we're what? like, They're no, we not. like what you're saying. <laughs> I just feel like you're. not. So I, I, no, I think no, you're more excited also, about no. I'm just like, whoa, like, whoa. Yeah, I'm more excited.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but like, then that's definitely just like how I feel about it, technology in general and, and Progress. I think that a lot of what, what society views as progress is not actually progress. Um, like, I don't think social media or any sort of new technological advancement is really progress, personally. I, yeah. Like, I don't think rockets are but progress. But I would say... I wish they would stop. Purely
2: based on the evidence as shown and as edited in this particular film... I think the use of a bone as a weapon is not seen as a a negative. I think it is supposed to... I think even in the body language of having the one group of apes be fully crouched and the ones that have figured out how to use bones already standing more erect as they're walking towards them. Mm -hmm. I think the violence is not supposed to be seen as like, oh, and this is the beginning of a lot of bad stuff. It is to show, and this is where it all started, and now they figured out how to smash a bone and make and use a tool. And then I think because of how we go from the total disorder and chaos of like primal ape tribes to the grace and the quietness and the slowness and the patience of the future. I think that is putting our evolution in a positive light in where we have gone as a species that, and even like in our relationships with the Russians, it's seen as this like cooperative kind of like, Oh, we're going to like sit down and chat about, about things rather than smashing and screaming at each other. Um, And so I think like evolution and the use of tools and weapons is not necessarily seen in as negative of a light as I think Dr. Strangelove or something else may have presented it as i think this is much more interested Mm -hmm. in like the human growth and our intelligence and what our limits are within that intelligence
1: do you feel like the chaos of the apes leaves you like do you feel like you can watch the middle section and feel at ease i think it or are you constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop? I'm not. I,
0: so, quick question. How are we defining I, the middle section? The 1999
2: section, I guess. The moon mission. Um, okay. Because
0: well, the... I guess in my brain, I've always associated this movie as, like, being three parts. There's, like, the Dawn of Man part. Yeah. Then there's, like, the, the part that all takes yeah. place kind of, like... Yeah, yeah, like, in the the middle, like, the actual middle chunk, basically from exactly when the bone is flying in the air and it smash cuts to uh, satellite, to the point where oh, Dave shit. is, like, going to the... Inf- like, that's yeah. always been, like, the middle chunk to me. But when I was watching it last night, I was like, oh, this movie's really yeah. four parts, not three. Like, I've always thought of it as three, but it's really four. So I'm just, like, this. that was more just for my clarification. Like, when you guys say the middle part, are you referring to, like, just the stuff that's with... What I- Haywood and then like the third part like the Dave Hal, um Frank part yeah and then I think the infinite
1: yeah I guess yeah, it could be I, four it's framed but I, I think the point that I was get, like it, I agree it can be interpreted different ways but I'm curious do you feel like yeah. the chaos ever leaves you or do you feel like you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop or waiting to see what's going to be going wrong because pretty much i mean hal has a sinister voice there's not i don't think hal is a chill dude and i think maybe and i don't think floyd really is either i think floyd's pretty chill oh but,
2: i think floyd's very i chill. think <laughs> to your point i do think hal is supposed to represent the other edge of the blade that like we learned how to smash mm-hmm. with a, a bone but at a certain point we've created something that smashes back that like now our tools are smart enough that they are acting on their own accord separate from what we may want or use them for. Um, And so I think in that regard, it is certainly a commentary on the dangers of evolution and the dangers of our intelligence as much as it's about the joy and the growth and the majesty of what we're able to achieve with it. But I think that's kind of the point of like, it's not a happy or sad ending. It's just like unknowable, infinite, cosmic bizarreness.
1: So, this is sort of related, uh, but a, a note that I had. Did you guys think so? When he goes to unplug hell um, and takes out all of his memory discs,
2: oh, they're the same
1: shape as a monolith. Mm-hmm. Do you guys think that's a coincidence, or do you think that that's deliberate? I
2: wondered, for the first time watching this time, if Hale was created with monolith technology, that whatever they even began to learn on the moon, they immediately started influencing the artificial intelligence, and that was a, a knowledge too strong for an AI to safely have. I don't know if there's any evidence to suggest yet but to suggest that but both I think the knowledge chips and the very shape of hell being a black rectangle I think certainly is supposed to create a kind of tether between the two in what they represent. Colin, your thoughts.
0: Um Sorry, I was looking up something else, so I was kind of in and out of what you were saying. I think to Tierney's specific question of was that purposeful, that like how like all of his little memory disks were monoliths, I think the answer is yes. But I would say, I would say it's pers, it was purposeful from a production design standpoint. Which, I mean, there could be more, like, there could be, like, deeper levels to that. But I don't, like, I don't necessarily read it as in-movie that was purposeful. I think it was purposeful that, like, when Stanley Kubrick was designing what it's going right. to look like for um, Hal's, like, memory chips to just be those little black monoliths. That That's how I would say it would be pers- purposeful. Yeah.
2: Because basically, it's a memory chip. The <clears throat> monolith itself is mm-hmm. a knowledge, like an intelligence chip. Yeah. And so it does, it's an exact one-to-one of, like, this black monolith served as our inspiration and our intelligence. Uh, and in the same way, these little chips are the building blocks of Hale and get him to where he is. Um, which, yeah, I mean, that sequence, I, I feel like we've jumped around enough that we might as well just talk about the Hale 9000, like, death sequence is so (laughs) great and can because like there's no fight there's no there it's not like oh all the doors begin to lock and like all the robots that are on board begin to like go haywire it's like this central ai is dangerous and really can't stop david from just walking in and pulling the plug and it's just like i'm actually much better now i feel much better now please david i like don't you don't want to do this like this this very calm like negotiating realizing like uh oh i'm not in control i i, I can die the, right now
0: <laughs> the transition from when date when he's like open the pod bay doors hal and he's like all right bye dave yeah. like i won and then he's like oh shit i did not win i did not win at all <laughs> like i am about to be so fucked and like the <laughs> desperation in his voice is so perfect and then when it just like starts like, when his voice modulation just starts getting slower and slower, it's just so... Like, on the one hand, it's, like, really upsetting to watch, but on the other hand, it's really, like, satisfying. Yeah. But like, you're just like, yeah, fuck you, computer. Yeah. Like,
2: and I just... <laughs> you get what you deserve, I bitch. just love when he's like, would you like me to sing you the song? And David's like, yeah, I want to hear it, Hal. And he's like, Daisy, sure. <laughs> Daisy. It's, like, so... <laughs> neutered like this robot is not a threat anymore at all he's doing exactly what he's told he's singing this very stupid song um also shout out to illinois for the birthplace of hal being urbana oh yeah illinois yeah in 1992 ui um and also i think like the uh what was i gonna oh the uh
1: It's probably the only time I'll ever give
2: Illinois a shout out. Uh, The other shout out that I'll give is uh, at the very end of every film spotting episode, which is another great film podcast that if you listen to us, you should listen to film spotting at the end of every episode. They just have the clip of this conversation can no longer serve any purpose. Goodbye, which is such a a fucking great line to deliver to a man stuck in space. Just to be like, adios. (laughs) Adios. it's just me <laughs> now on this ship uh it's so sinister and Hal 9000 is like such a great villain for how quick and precise his murders are it's just like nope, and i'm gonna turn off all the hibernation and up nope, i'm gonna cut your connection cord and you're gonna float off in space <laughs> like i'm gonna trap you outside the end i win it's
1: <laughs> <He's laughs> ruthless. ruthless
2: which my question then would be We don't get a clear idea of what HAL 9000's motivations are for turning on the crew. Mm -hmm. Do you think... I mean, isn't the motivation just self-preservation? Is it self-preservation because he knows that if a human reaches the next monolith, there will be no need for technology anymore. Oh, interesting. Well... But he also messed up. Well, right. And is that, so then is the mess up purposeful in order to get them outside of the ship? Or is it an actual accident that as soon as they realize that he had an error, he realizes, well, like a chess game, I can't lose this pawn. I'm going to kill them first. So, like, I think that's a real chicken and egg. Because as he's talking to David about, like, I'm wondering if, you're, if your, um, like, commitment to the mission is... Like, is what it used to be. He's already introducing the idea that he has doubts in the human's ability to take this where it needs to go. And then mid-conversation brings up this faulty satellite that turns out not to be faulty at all, that then requires them to go back outside to fix it. And so I've always read that, that he's making up some issue to make them get into a dangerous position that he can then launch them into space since they're already not in hibernation and he can't just turn off the switch. Mm -hmm. But this time around, I did see it as like, Oh, maybe he did actually have the first error that Hal nine thousands ever had and is trying to cover it up by being like, uh, don't turn me off. I'll just throw all of you out of the ship. Just get out of here.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. It could, like, I see where you're coming from. He does let them out once and they come back in
2: mm-hmm. that's true
1: but and that's when they're like well, we don't see a problem with this and it, i always thought it was because they started to be like well we're gonna fucking and i do think you. that
2: <laughs> is what we're supposed to feel when intermission hits yeah is that he's lip reading and he's like
1: oh, that
0: uh <laughs> reveal i the first time i saw this movie that reveal was like one of the most mind-blowing things so i've ever eb- like truly one of the most like jaw dropping moments I've ever seen in any movie. And like again, I was seeing this I saw this for the first time probably in 2015. I'd seen a lot of fucking movies, and also at that point this movie was almost fifty years old. Yeah. And like I was still just like, oh fuck. To go right into intermission. <laughs> and then it just cuts to intermission. Incredible. I was like, what the what fuck? What a move. <laughs> like just so perfect.
2: Yeah. Like, oh my God. It is so it's, it's so good. <laughs> and because it's so chill on the spaceship. And I think that's where, like, the feeling of, will the other sh- like, when is the other shoe going to drop? I think it's because so little danger happens basically in the whole movie. Like, even the apes are kind of, like, I mean, apes are going to be apes. They're going to smash each other if they want to. And, like, in the middle portion, it's a lot of just, like, procedural red tape bureaucracy of, like, the meeting mm-hmm. is kind of the climax. I guess actually seeing the monolith is kind of the climax but like that debriefing where he's like don't talk about this until we're ready to talk about it it's still pretty like cordial and neutral and then when they see the monolith obviously that's like oh what's going on here but like everything even past that is like they're just eating food running around doing interviews talking to their parents like nothing is that much of a threat and basically, everything after intermission is like, oh no, oh no, oh no, God, oh God. <laughs> uh, through, I mean, the ending. I think like the ending is not supposed to be like settling, um, but like I think, depending on how you interpret it, it's it's either very sinister or very uh, uh, beyond understanding.
1: I would say though that there's threats throughout personally, mm-hmm. but that's also just me. I think it's
2: interesting <laughs> to. I think the idea of a match cutting, like the bone and the satellite being the first two things that's like very clearly a match cut and like taught in film school as the definition of a match cut. Uh, you get the bone and then you get the same shape. But I do think like the Russians and Haywood, or Hayward? Hey, it's Haywood hey, it's Floyd, is the guy's name.
1: Halloway. It, this is God why it. it's so confusing, because you keep introducing other <laughs> names. But
0: Hayward uh, is like... Haywood. Uh, hey Haywood.
2: Hey Hayden Christensen. I'm quitting name. the pot. Uh, <laughs>
3: Hay-fever. Hay-fever.
2: Hey fever. When Haywood <laughs> um, is talking to the Russians, it's basically the two tribes of apes all over again. It's they are in a territory, and he has more power over them with knowledge and they, in the end, have to leave. They don't get anything out of it. And so, like, there is this constant battle between who is ahead, like, who has the upper hand at any point, and who gets to touch the monolith.
1: But he also was like, there's an epidemic. That's, like, not a chill thing to say. <laughs> That's where I'm like, there are threats everywhere. Because, like, there, we're going to... There isn't Clavius. an epidemic. I know, but we don't know that at the time... And so then we're going to Clavius, thinking there's epidemic. I would
2: knew it's. And then
0: I never, I I was gonna say, I never thought that there actually was an epidemic. Like I was, it was always very clear to me that like the epidemic was like a cover story, which is why there was for something else. But I didn't necessarily, I wasn't like concerned about
2: whatever the fuck else was going to be. Oh, but you're saying we as an audience,
1: and then when they get there, I think yeah, like we as an audience think that there might be, and then we get there, and it's, like, the least chill environment, and then you go straight to, like, this freaky moment where the sun hits the monolith to Dave running in the thing to where it's, like, it does not feel chill. I, <laughs> I was, like, constantly being, like, what is going to happen? I,
0: at no point during any of the things, <laughs> that we,
1: which, I'm like, I just,
2: like, it was not my experience. I was just, like, okay. I do think there is tension in that moment I think there... I think there's an interesting dynamic of that interaction where they're like, oh, like, you know, we haven't been able to contact Clavius. And he's like, oh, interesting. Where you're kind of like, oh, is he learning that there's something going on, too, in this moment? We don't know his level of access. We don't really know who this guy is. He's just on the shuttle going to the space station. That seems like pretty chill, like most people go there. And then only when they introduce the idea of the epidemic is then he like, okay, wait i have to continue the cover story and not reveal what i know which is maybe not that much because i'm i just know it's not an epidemic but i have to make them think that it is and that's i think when you start to realize like oh he's very high level which i think also reframes his interaction with his daughter where at first you're kind of like oh what a shitty dad to miss your daughter's birthday to go to fucking space like what are you doing go back home and be with your kids and then when you realize it's like, oh, maybe this is the next step in human evolution, you're like, well, I'd probably miss a birthday, too, if I was told I had to go and figure out what this <laughs> alien buried uh,
1: on the moon. But. And this is, this, is, this is also just like how I feel in general. I think that in terms of the next stage of human evolution, like, we have not evolved to deal with the amount of technology that we currently have.
0: So, yeah. I mean there is no next stage of human evolution cuz we're going to fucking kill ourselves. So
1: <laughs> Well, yes, there's that too, but also like the in terms of humans, like I think the only difference between me and someone in like Shakespeare's time is just the fact that I'm taller and as a woman can do more things. But like it, <laughs> like we still have that's more societal. Like we still we still physically are the same beings. Right. And that's and like our tech, and this is just me personally. I think that humans have have progressed technologically far faster than we're able to evolve to keep up with it, and that's where I feel like it, the sinister comes yeah. in. But that's also just the way I feel. General, but I, I do think that is
2: supported in <laughs> this movie with <coughs> Hal being a malevolent being. We created Hal, and mm-hmm. Hal killed us. Yeah. So it's like,
1: but then we also kill Hal but then we accelerate ourselves to
0: our grave. What's what's the line? I mean, women inherit the earth. Yeah, I can't remember the setup sure.
1: for it, but.
2: Which is probably true in this. Uh, I mean, Hal literally kills everyone on board. Is this from, it's it's from a Nora
1: Ephron movie? No, uh, it's from Jurassic Park. Uh, <laughs> <except> for, oh. <laughs> mm-hmm. and
0: Day Same Day thing. You know, you say tomato. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: um Um, i don't have any other notes on this movie though i just love to talk about how technology is ruining us
2: it is crazy. like if you're on a ship (laughs) outside put your fucking helmet on
1: except dave
0: well but dave wasn't on the ship and also he he tried to kill Dave to be totally clear when he's like, that's going to be really hard to do without your helmet, which I do every single time yeah. I've watched this movie. I've even the first time I'm like, why the fuck would you yeah. leave your helmet there? Like, First of all, that's what I'm saying. Like I personally have no desire to go to space like at all. Like that's just not something I'm even remotely interested in. But if Same. I were in space and I were going to leave the, quote-unquote comfort of whatever fucking space station i'm in like the first thing i'm thinking is okay what can i do so that i'm protected just in case like i'm like helmet gloves like okay i've got like like my breathing apparatus like all right worst case scenario i'm at least covered on these fronts whereas dave is just like i mean let me get in this other pod. I don't have time. Like, I'm waiting for you to rotate the fucking pod and then open the door so I can climb in. Meanwhile, my helmet's he's just. He's distressed. Like right his there. friend was just like killed. I could just reach out and grab it. <laughs> also, uh,
2: but that, to my That's true, uh, the yeah. point, I was going to make was like, if your friend just died yeah. in the vacuum of space, yeah. maybe back yeah. your helmet. Yeah. <laughs> but, but no, I also, he's had other things on his mind. Uh, but. I mean, yeah. What else is there to say besides this movie is Bay? Uh, I would say, I guess the this is what I was gonna say, kind of as a tail end earlier of like the stuff that I fast forwarded through as a stupid college student are the things that I like sat with this time. I still, I think the thing I actually actively still don't like is the fade out edit that is in most of the ape. Part where you're just kind of like fading yeah. out of a scene and then coming back in i think what they do towards the tail end after we've touched the monolith of like you edit in landscape to kind of suggest the passage of time i think that's more effective the fade out i just kind of like not into as a editing technique it feels very much like and that's all we have to say about that um all right let's get back into it it like is a weird edit to me but um I mean, the fade-out specifically is why people think Return of the King has too many endings. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I think it's a not good edit. Uh, but, and I think because then you get such sharp stuff like the... And, again, I think passage of time is what's suggested by those gaps. And I mm-hmm. don't know if that would be as, as felt if you had footage in between. Uh, but, like, the match cut of the bone and the satellite are, like, impeccable. Like, that is expert fucking editing and the the travel into the beyond the infinite whenever we get a snapshot of of dave screaming silently or just like wide-eyed or horrified or just his eyes blinking like all of that stuff i think like the editing there builds whatever narrative you want to put behind what's going on Mm -hmm. uh and that by the end it's like it is kind of like do the work, whatever work you want to do to figure out what's happening in this bedroom, have at it. But, yeah, I think my interpretation of the very, very end is that he has crossed past the threshold of linear time into this kind of, like, mental space that he creates for himself and then sees himself throughout the rest of his life until he decides to go back into it. And I think... Like this was what I was gonna say earlier. I'm pretty sure that in 2001, the book, he literally becomes a giant baby fetus, (laughs) with all of the knowledge of the universe. I think that's canonically what happens to David. Whether or not Kubrick cared about that literal aspect, probably not. But I do think that's like he doesn't just like metaphorically become an infant again. In the fiction of 2001, he is transformed into the Star Child to do whatever it is the Star Child does. Um, but also, in 2010, they talk a little bit more about the Black Monoliths, and they say that the monolith outside of Jupiter that he interacts with is, like, two meters long, um, and it was, like, a different size than the other monoliths that had previously been. Discover. Which the other interesting thing is,
1: Your where did the
2: black monolith come from?
1: When <laughs> you were apes? Yeah, I mean, you set me up perfectly.
2: And we. No, no. we. <laughs> and where did it go <laughs> once it was used? Did it just leave? Is it bouncing around?
1: Is that the one that goes up Dave's Is that the
2: one that goes giant
1: infant baby butthole? Maybe. Have you read the book?
2: <laughs> I think so. Yeah. but you could also Also say have you read a book and i would have said (laughs) i'm really behind this year i got distracted
1: (laughs) behind on my reading quota
2: yeah well
0: i mean it's it's i know but i'm not gonna if and when you want i'm not gonna get the numbers that i want it's not going anywhere what it is (laughs) it's not too late you've got plenty of time there's so much year left just read small books
1: uh i skimmed a good chunk of the book oops <laughs> Gonna count it. <laughs>
0: That's cool. just yeah, just like Matt. The first time he watched this movie, he skipped by fast forwarding. Yeah, I so. I mean, same. Do you think Matt. he fast forwarded the beginning <laughs> he of the really and then
1: watched too, the, the he, it. he was like, "Ugh, no talking. Let's get this over with."
2: <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna say I did, but I'm not gonna say I didn't.
0: I assume the first time you saw There Will Be Blood was in a movie that was just theater. You so. and
2: me. Nah, I bitch. I watched oh, really? it on my laptop when I was in college.
1: Oh, I went shit. alone because none of my friends you. were old enough to go to an R-rated Damn. movie.
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> and you
2: were already
1: 64 at the
2: time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've been seeing R-rated movies my entire um, life. <laughs> should we go on to categories? Oh. oh. My only... Yeah, my only, like, my, my final thing, uh, and it's it's not sure. necessarily, it's. <laughs> I would not, I would not shorten this movie at yeah, all. Yeah, Matt, you saw what happened when they sped up the moon landing. Do you really
1: but... want to speed up these docking scenes?
2: <laughs> if you add yackety slacks to it, yes. <laughs>
0: So that was going to, just my my question, which is mostly just a joke, but like, how long do you think this movie could be if you cut out some of the extravagant moments of a 10-minute docking sequence? Oh, an hour 40. Like, that seems long, I think. I feel like, again, I'm not saying I want that version of this movie. I would never want that version of this movie. I'm just like, as I was watching it last night, I, all of those bits are like, mesmerizing to me and i'm here for every single one of them but i was just like in my in my head i was like he he you could probably cut this down I to mean, like a 30 second you could,
1: that <laughs> whole like, like oh, here we, whatever like, whatever we made the it multicolored technicolor sequences yeah that whatever i'm never gonna remember that um <laughs> there's a title <laughs> know, card it says jupiter
0: that's... and beyond the infinite and then it's gone <laughs> it's, it's, it's not right there, there the whole time
1: Uh, But that whole sequence, once they start showing like Technicolor negatives of the Grand Canyon, I'm like, you could have stopped. You could have stopped with just the lightning shoot, like the laser. But once you start showing like, yeah,
0: it's 10 minutes long. Really? I, I, That's why I fast-forwarded through it. I, I time-stamped it last night. It's ten minutes. It's like nine minutes time, and thirty seconds. So.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Pretty much, once they start to show the Grand Canyon, I'm always like, "Oh yeah, the Grand Canyon is here." And then it's just, and then I wake up again when he's in the room. And every time I'm like, "Why are we here?" It's an ugly ass room. We should. Yeah, I'll say it again. It's an ugly ass <laughs> room. <laughs> I
2: love the bedroom at the end of the universe. I love that it's both old looking with like super ornate candelabras and like sculptures and busts and then just Tron. It looks exactly like <laughs> like the house in Tron Legacy, which I'm sure they themed off of this movie. They had to have. yeah. Um, but like, yeah, I, I love the bedroom. I have uh, my lights have a program little thing where I could like turn them on with one button and for a while if I wanted it to be all bright white light like not warm at all I named (laughs) I named the command not sweet bitter just bitter uh (laughs) uh, if I wanted if I wanted just like all white light I called it bedroom at the end of the universe I would tap it and then it would just make my bedroom (laughs) too white too bright um also my tv's name is the monolith i put see i'm like inserting this shit everywhere so i might as well love this movie um also the music which we really haven't dived quite as deep into as it deserves but like i do think using that in that bridge in that beginning docking sequence is another way to show like not only technologically have we advanced but like this music Mm -hmm. wasn't possible when we were and now now, this is the height it definitely was (laughs) no just the idea of like what we have created as a species um that it's this like beautiful synchronous like calming music uh and i and when i was writing one of the scripts i wrote in college i listened to the i don't know how to pronounce it the guyane ballet it's what's playing at the very beginning of the jupiter mission sequence
3: Mm -hmm. uh
2: which like I just had on loop and it became my most listened to song on my iTunes with like 128 listens. It just like totally just... fucked your rapt. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it was so far ahead of any other song was I ever it? listened to oh, a that it was like number one for
1: years. I because I, cause I just saw, I know ben the blue blue Danube. I really think I would have gotten along with Stanley Kubrick. You know, both enjoy a good bit of classical music.
2: Probably. Yeah, I mean he he has classical Both music. Terrified of flying.
1: He yeah.
2: also was
0: he also yeah. was born in the twenties, so you know. Uh, I was
1: I disappeared there for a while because <laughs> I was Googling I couldn't remember why he moved <laughs> to England and I was like, I wonder if he moved to England because the sense of humor would fit better. Um, but I know that's when he worked with Peter Sellers, who I can't wait to talk about.
3: Mm.
0: Uh, one other quick side note before we jump into the categories, and only because I looked this up earlier. Sorry, uh, go ahead. I joked that.
3: <laughs>
0: Wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I joked that Tyranny mm-hmm. was born in the 20s, like Stanley Kubrick, because LOL. Uh, but Stanley Kubrick was actually oh, born on July so 26th. Close to being my so right birthday. in between us, BB. What?
1: So yeah. it's supposed to be well, a
2: birthday
1: twin. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, and like right in between you and me, there's like a three-day window and yeah. he threaded that needle perfectly. <laughs> and by that, I mean his parents threaded that needle before either of yeah. us were ever even being thought of. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the infinite. Um, beyond the infinite. All right. So categories. Uh, you get Tattoo on ideas, butthole. I feel like, I mean... Oh Jesus God. Christ! What is with all the butthole talk? <laughs> it would
1: actually be perfect.
2: I mean, Hal was what I was going Maybe to say. Maybe on your nipple. But then, dear, I mean, it'd
1: be it. perfect.
2: The <laughs> little red eye, just be Just a little. little. Red. Yeah,
1: that's good. That's
2: a good one. I just I love the look of Hal so much, uh, and I also love Hal. So, you know, what would be actually a cool pair Of tattoos is that on one arm you get a femur and on the other arm you get a satellite. Mm. Interesting. And when you hold it up, you're the edge of human evolution. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: one yeah. arm going up and then the other arm take, takes its place. Exactly. So. <laughs> I also uh, love the uh, red, yellow, and blue spacesuits. Oh, yeah. I think they look just so fucking dope. Uh, and when Matt and I were in LA, we went to the Academy Museum and they have the red spacesuit on display.
2: And I was like, <gasps> <gasps> no, they have the, the gray one. They oh, have is one it of
1: the I would have
2: freaked out if the actual that's right. red one is. I Do they have Karen's actually, bracelet?
3: <laughs> I actually think,
2: <sighs> okay. I think either the blue or the red spacesuit is actually in Seattle. Oh. at the Museum of Pop Culture because they have a whole sci-fi section okay. and they have uh, they have Saris from uh, Galaxy Quest nice. the full Saris costume <laughs> as well as, I'd have to look at my pictures but I think the, I think it's Poole's suit and not David's suit because I feel like David's suit is probably in the Smithsonian or something but yeah. they're such gorgeous space, space suits I want to dress up you as get David up one, one,
1: coat.
2: one year Love it. Get that Patagonia, exactly. Yeah. Just kind of red <laughs> Patagonia, red Patagonia <laughs> snow pants. Big old um,
0: Other yes. categories. Would you guys hang out on this film set? Oh yeah. Yeah. Especially because you'd be on the set. You'd be, like, say, on like the
2: Jupiter mission.
0: This is a dumb question for us to ask, because I can't imagine any of these movies we would see. Yeah, would you really eh, just want to see? Maybe, now that I think about it a little bit Shelley further. Paul but for the most part, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, eh, maybe not. <laughs> you can see behind-the-scenes footage of that plenty of places. But, uh, and I feel like even the ape sequence, I was thinking as I was watching it, like, watching him direct them to mm-hmm. be, like, be afraid of the monolith but like you know the same way that you have to learn what it is and then once you basically have done some amount of like touching and smelling and even at one point one, the main ape that we're looking at like kisses it like yeah, the monolith just gets a degree. boner okay okay so it's not yeah exactly just like a, a little hail 9000 erection from the <laughs> middle um but, like, even that, I, like, watching them get directed would actually be pretty cool, even though that particular set would be pretty boring to, like, visit and just be like, all right, so it's a lot of dust, dust and, bones. and bones. Great, got it. Yeah. Um, would you guys watch this movie on an airplane? Yeah, but it's two and a half hours, and it's kind of slow, so I might want something a little faster.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think But I there's probably... nothing on it, yeah. I literally watched Interstellar on an airplane like mm-hmm. a couple months ago. <laughs> so like I, I would watch this on an airplane as well. It just didn't happen to be preloaded on the United flight that I was on. So. Yeah. Um, other categories we have are Oscars, but uh, Tierney yes. wanted to what introduce a new one. What would you
1: play in the movie? So,
0: take it away, T-Girl. Uh,
2: you start. I There's
1: actually didn't have an answer. I just thought of this during the... 20-minute monkey scene. Um, so I guess maybe one of them. Yeah. The smashing aspect, I was
2: like, oh, this is right of Tyranny's Alley. Yeah. To just, like, smash bones.
0: The, the sequence where he figures it out and just like,
2: yeah, let's fuck this skeleton up! I was like, Yeah, I, I
3: suppose
2: that would be mine. I mean, yeah. i probably do... Hale. Um, do some voiceover like, work yeah i mean just because you get to i don't actually you know what i think in my mind i would like to be Hale, but i think in reality i would love to be haywood he just seems like such a fun performance to to have of like cool chill just like doing his job a very Clooney like performance i was gonna say
0: uh, i think I, haywood would have been my choice he's just like yeah. so fucking dope it, like every scene he's in i'm just like yeah this guy's the shit <laughs>
2: like <laughs> yeah i even love that in the press conference he's like you know you know it's you want to make sure that we're communicating this right so like i hope that we have your understanding you're not going to talk about this like he's just so confident and like don't fuck this up like yeah you, know, you kept it under wraps for long enough Keep
3: cool my baby come on be
2: chill
0: <laughs> Keep cool Um, and then there's one other one that I want to introduce just exclusively for this Kubrick run that we're doing. And Uh so Matt mentioned our friend Jack, uh, I think we potentially might get him, we might try and get him to, to join us for an episode, but, uh, I was talking to him at work once and I can't remember exactly what he said. So like if, if we get him on, I would like him to elaborate on this further or at least like correct me if I'm wrong, but my memory of this conversation was we were talking about Kubrick probably because I had gone to see 2001 at the Music Box okay. one of those times and he said something to the effect of like, at least 10% of every Kubrick movie is Kubrick flipping off the audience just like, <laughs> fuck you, I'm going to do what I want to do and so uh, I think w- what would be a fun category <clears throat> for this Kubrick run is to determine what percentage of this movie we think is Kubrick flipping off the audience mm. so, <laughs> So, interesting, yeah. Is 42 low? <laughs> well,
2: yeah, I mean, Cuz I'm
0: just trying to think of like all the so like all of the like the really drawn out sequences, like to your point Matt, like audiences going to see this in this like in the late 60s and being forced to watch 20 minutes of no dialogue and just like people jumping around yeah. in ape costumes is a pretty like aggressive intro and yeah. then when you finally get out of that, you're just like, okay, cool, now I'm just, like, watching a spaceship fly towards the space station for another 15 minutes, like. And, like, the other thing that I thought of last night is, like, the, the high-pitched squeal. Oh, yeah. Like, on the moon. It's just, and there's, like, so many sequences where the only audio is just, like... Uh, Dave breathing heavily in his space suit It's <laughs> so yeah. like forty maybe seems too low, I but I you, wanted to at least like start there at all. and see where what you guys those are, are thinking.
1: Scene that's like world building.
2: I think it is like. I think it's essential stuff for this movie, but I do think it's like vegetables at dinner. Like he's giving you what you need. Is that because our attention spans are
1: shorter yeah. than they were? Especially in the 60s. like. I mean,
2: what movie do you know of? I that I mean, starts with a Spartacus is literally,
1: literally like five hours long.
2: I mean, and that's that, That's but, how he flipped off that on. But
1: also, like, isn't Planet <laughs> of the Apes entirely <laughs> go fuck apes?
2: Yourself. Go go fuck yourself. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, they're but talking. They talk. They're jumping around. They got armor <laughs> on. They're talking about geopolitics. Like these apes are not interested in anything besides slamming some bones. But I mean, I think I think this is certainly doing what it wants to do. He's mm-hmm. like basically just like I'm going to do the movie that I want. I think 40 is probably I mean, based on the box office also being <laughs> a bomb uh but also i mean yeah the screen like the apes i was like shut up and then the, sc- the screeching monolith was like ooh, yikes uh and even the song that like accompanies the monolith whenever they're, they're talk, like it's like, oh, oh. Is so like <laughs> eerie and unsettling that i mean for like audiences in 1968 that are like just digging on any like farce rom com, or <laughs> just like, no, I thought that this uh, lady would fall in love with this scamp. Like, this is certainly uh, an aggressive <clears throat> movie uh, that is not what they were looking for. So, at least to 1960s audiences, probably 40% was a middle finger to what they were expecting out of.
1: I'd say about 10 to 15%. Friend, and it's really just the last bit was what would fuck with the audience because it because everything else follows like when i think of someone that's who's true. fucking with the audience i think of someone who's just like i basically think of david lynch to where it's like i'm just gonna throw this shit in and you're just gonna have to deal yeah. with it whereas like everything he's thrown in is part of the story until the end I right. could also that's a good category yeah.
0: yeah interesting It was good. We'll see Um, how much
2: that percentage rises as we watch other (laughs) Kubrick movies. Which I mean, The Shining, it was mostly just a middle finger at Stephen King, and then the rest of it was just like, have a horror movie. And I feel like I'm going to
1: chronically say low. (laughs) All right. So last category for them.
0: Yeah, that feels right. Yeah. Uh, so this movie was nominated for four Oscars.
3: Best director.
0: Oh, best director. Good for you. Um, best story and screenplay, which I guess was a category at that point. Best story and screenplay written directly for the screen. So like... Mm. Original screenplay, I guess. Art direction yep. and visual effects. Oh, yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't know. Yeah. I guess art direction, is that like what is currently considered... Yeah, production design. Okay, yeah. <clears throat> that makes
2: sense. Um, f- for story and... Uh, script written to screen because it 2001 wasn't. was already written that's interesting that no. it wasn't original it, was adapted,
0: it wasn't
1: but it it's became, in that category
2: Yes. Yeah. no 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 No. It's. Yeah. the book
0: came after the movie Arthur C.
1: Clarke was really? like I'm going to yeah. expand on this
0: into a so oh. Kubrick and Clarke wrote the movie together but then Arthur C. Clarke expanded on the movie I think the novel came out <laughs> like later that same year so it's not like there was like a significant time but difference between the two. but The movie did come first.
1: And takes the... not, uh, like, he probably wrote the script three or four years before, and then. <laughs> for sure, sure, for, yeah, 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 no, I'm. Oh,
0: I, yeah. yeah, no, I'm. I'm just. I'm not yeah. saying it was like the movie came out and then five years later right. the book came out. It was, it was not like, adapted. Yeah, got it. Um. Yeah, I think uh, so. It, it only won for best mm-hmm. visual effects. Which I'm like, I, I don't, I don't know enough about what was not. I mean, I can, I have it pulled up. I can say probably but, some dumb shit. Is that what I would say?
2: Uh,
0: the one yeah. I feel most strongly about is uh, art direction, and it lost to Oliver, which I think I've seen, and mostly just is like normal life sets. <laughs> so I feel mm-hmm. like all the shit that he had to come up with
3: yeah. for
0: this movie is way better than that shit. <laughs> All right. That's it. Any final thoughts on 2001 before we wrap this thing up?
3: Nah. That's
0: Uh, It's a good movie, all right. It's good. I'm glad we started our Kubrick on this one. Yeah. We can just, just going to go downhill Mm -hmm. from here. Just kidding. Just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. kidding. (laughs) All right. Let's, it's late for the tea girl. She's yawning so, so desperately. Yeah. (laughs) So, let's burn through what we've been up to you had a list prepared when we teased last week but then we didn't do it so hit us with your list tierney
1: uh yeah i watched uh our flag means death which is very good it is a delightful uh like warm-hearted comedy which is wonderful because people think they need to be mean to be comedies uh would recommend you guys still haven't watched it and i'm mad about it (laughs) Uh
2: um, bad. Tierney's
0: Big Mad, that Matt and I have not watched the show.
1: Yeah, it's like you guys don't even care about Tyka and Reese Darby. What I watched fuck? two episodes of you too. And you fell yeah, asleep. and then did nothing. That was a month ago.
2: I've got things to watch.
1: Oh yeah, I can't wait to hear that list. <laughs> uh I finished Frayed I think I was I watched season 1 and so I finished season 2. That that show's pretty funny. Uh also pretty dark um i watched ted lasso all of ted lasso another delightful show what did
0: you out of curiosity what did you think of season two because you you basically Uh, i mean you didn't like binge it but you didn't have to wait week to week between episodes like the rest of the world did so i'm curious what your thoughts on season two were
1: uh i thought it was good okay um yeah when it was i definitely didn't see the twist coming when
0: when it was coming out live people were none too pleased (laughs)
1: <laughs> like, yeah i could see that
0: uh like people had to wait like week to week between episodes and it, like the the vibe was not nearly as strong on season two as it was for season one so i was curious what your thoughts were
1: yeah i would believe that um but i didn't really have a problem with it bless uh and then i watched spider-man homecoming when i was in la because i still hadn't seen that mm-hmm. and then i watched point break fantastic Fuck
0: show. yeah Wait. Our movie. No, I, was like, I was like, wait, are we talking about different things? No. Point, the point Break. break the animated series. <laughs> <laughs> to be clear. Movie so good. I would watch Point Break the animated series. The movie rules.
1: <laughs> and Keanu Reeves has uh, a perfect face. Um, and then I watched Head and Blue Velvet at the Music Box David Lynch retrospective. Uh, didn't hate him. I actually really liked Blue Velvet. I thought it was pretty good. Um, but yeah, anyway, nice. that's all I have. That's it. I mean, I watched more than that, but I'm not going to go through them all. Yeah, that's fair. Uh,
0: so I visited Matt. Uh, we went and saw Petite Mama together, which is the new film by Celine Sciamma, uh, our queen from Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Uh-huh. And it's really fucking good. And also, it's only 72 minutes long. <laughs> and so, so God bless everything about it. It's so good. Uh, Matt and I both loved it. Uh, and then I also saw Everything Everywhere All at Once, which, quick take, uh, I think is really good. But I don't think it's a perfect movie. And I don't necessarily think that it should be the highest rated movie on Letterboxd.
2: Of all time? Yeah. Everything, everywhere, all at once?
0: Yeah, it surpassed uh, Parasite at some point. I don't know if that's, like, still true, but at some point it surpassed Parasite, which I was like, whoa, bitch. (laughs) We don't have time for me to get into my thoughts on that, so... Uh, And then I I also watched The Northman, which just kicks so much ass. (laughs) Uh, I cannot wait to see that movie again. Uh, I think... I still would rate The Witch as my favorite, sorry, The Vivitch as my favorite Robert Eggers movie. But I think this would be a fairly close second. Mm. And then the only other thing I want to mention is Better Call Saul is back, baby. It's the final season and it's so fucking good. And I'm so happy that it's back and I'm so scared for what's going to happen <laughs> to all of my beloved characters. So, uh, so yeah, Better Call Saul, Matt, watch that shit still. I will.
2: <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, I, I gotta, gotta watch yesterday's, yesterday's, too. Well, I'll watch yesterday's after this.
1: <laughs> um, Forgot about Barry. I gotta watch yesterday's. <laughs> like hell you are.
2: Um, I, you know, I watched a bunch. I'm uh, continuing to watch Invincible, which well, I'm not finished. <laughs> uh, it's pretty fun. Surprising twists. Uh, Amazon Prime series. Uh, I watched season one of Starstruck and loved it. Uh, and I'm gonna watch season two of Starstruck with my roommate. Uh, this was a Tierney suggestion from basically years ago now, uh, and it is as good as promised. Um, I. But I'm still not.
0: But I'm still not gonna watch Our Flag Means. There's like literally nothing keeping me
2: from watching it besides I just haven't. If trusted, only
1: you trusted um, my recommendation. I did watch
2: the Batman for a third time, and Jesus uh, Christ, I think I mentioned that on our teaser, but um. I don't know what. What else have I watched? Um, oh yeah, I saw Petite Mama and Everything Everywhere All at Once, and God, what oh, else have I been doing? Matt Man. fell asleep during the Hidden Fortress. I sure did. Could not stay awake. <laughs> it was just ex- exhausted from two straight days at Disney. It, it couldn't do it. Couldn't. We had
0: a very delicious sushi dinner. Like, weighing us down. Those seats are pretty comfortable. The new Bev. And, and it was it's dark.
2: Like- and you gotta read. My eyes were going back and forth, just, like, mimicking <laughs> R.E.M. I just couldn't. I, I was no competition for how sleepy I was. But it was good from what I saw. Whatever. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. I, I, you know, Barry season. Yeah, I started Barry. And... Oh, uh, I started as Fargo season two, and it's as good as I've been told. Jesse Plemons is crushing it. Uh, Kirsten Dunst is crushing it. Everyone's crushing it. Um, and you know, I guess I'm finished. <laughs>